welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. Today we're joined in studio by Sinead Mahay. Sinead is the director of Literature Ireland, an organisation aiming to promote Irish literature around the world. Sinead is joined by your host for today, Priscilla Charles. So now let's move on and get on to the show. Uh, so Sinead, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm very curious. Can you take us through your background all the way to your current activities, please? Well, I started with a degree in languages from UCD, um, French and Italian. And then I moved abroad. I spent some time in Italy, uh, where I taught English as a foreign language. Initially, I was supposed to do a master's on 18th century drama, but oh. it proved very complicated. Um, and I met, I made some good friends, and they found me a job teaching English. So I met lots of Italians who were very keen to learn English. And uh, I suppose that sensitized me, in a sense, to the challenges of acquiring a language, of communicating in a different language, and all the nuances that are involved. Okay. So that was the beginning. Yes, I imagine, yeah. And but prior to this and prior to studying, what attracted you to um, to like, why did you want to specialize in languages in the first place? Why did you want to start this degree in UCD? I think that's probably my parents' fault. Um, They moved to Connemara in um, Galway. Mm. There's the Irish language speaking yes. part of the West Coast. And my father changed his name to Mackay, my, my, my surname. And um, he spoke a lot of Irish. We, uh, we had babysitters who spoke to me in Irish. In fact, I may actually have spoken Irish before I spoke English. Wow. When I was really very small. And um, my father also had a travel bug. He loved traveling. So he would take us on car journeys all around the country. Um, and and had a lot of foreign visitors. I have photographs of having dinner with a Japanese uh, geographer when I was about Fantastic. three. So so there was always this sense of, of language and travel being being part of my upbringing. Absolutely. And then when I was seven, he uh, decided he was going to spend a year in Spain. Oh, wow. So he bundled us all into a Ford Cortina, and we we drove um, through England. Uh, took a ferry to from Southampton to Lisbon and then in, into Spain where we spent the best part of a year. Wow. And I got to go to school there for a few months. Uh, I have an eight-year-old Spanish. I, I, I oh, turned yeah, eight yeah. when I was when I was in Spain and I, I did learn a, a fair amount of Spanish but at, at a very elementary level. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we came back home and I was in Irish language medium education Um, for my primary schooling and after that moved into secondary school with English language medium schooling for the most part and I started French in school uh, kept up the Spanish until I was about 15 um, and then the wonder bug hit my father again and he was an academic and he had the opportunity to travel yeah. so he bundled what was then a family of seven children wow. <laughs> into a Ford Transit and uh, spent the best part of a year in Portugal. 
So I suppose it started then. Yes, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, you were almost a polyglot, like <laughs> at least a good couple of languages uh, before you started university. That's fantastic. So, um, so that's kind of what um, triggered this interest in I understand languages and then and then literature. I understand you must probably have uh, read a good couple of um, uh, of books in different languages when you were studying in French or Italian, no? Absolutely. Well, well the degree I took in Italian in UCD uh, required that you read a novel after the first term. So your, your holiday homework for the Christmas break was to read a novel. Mm. And I, I took it very seriously. I was very keen to learn Italian and to learn it well. So for that Christmas holiday, I spent... Uh, every day, a good chunk of time with my Italian English dictionary, wow. working my way painstakingly through through the novel, which was a contemporary novel, a lovely novel, Gli uh, Occhiali d'Oro by Bassani, but uh, which uh, wasn't that easy for a, a, yes, a beginner. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's very impressive. Huh? And well, uh, it's the same for all the students. I mean, we, that was what was required, and, yes. and the degree the degree yeah. was good, and the, the lecturers weren't having taking any nonsense. That was what was needed if you were to acquire the yes, language. Yes, if you wanted to Hard succeed, work. yes, absolutely, <laughs> no, true. Um, no, but I mean, I studied myself languages, and I wasn't. I don't remember being um, told to read an entire book uh, after the first term. So, yeah, it's very impressive. So. Um, moving on which, to you. which languages did you study? I studied uh, English, Spanish, and I did a bit of Russian. Oh, that was prior to my uh, journalism studies, but um, I stopped. I stopped this degree, I have to say. So, uh, <laughs> but I was very keen on the, um, continuing uh, my English education and Spanish as well. And now you're interviewing through the medium of English. So yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, and I live in Ireland. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so. Um, to to move on onto your current position, you're a, you're a, the director of Literature Ireland, an organisation aiming to produce um, to promote sorry Irish literature around the world. And um, Literature Ireland was formerly known as Ireland Literature Exchange, and it helps to promote Irish writers and writing internationally. So, can you tell us a little bit about the centre and the great work that's involved over there? Well, the organisation was established in 1994. It was the vision, really, of a man who was on the Arts Council, a poet called Michal O'Shiel, um, who had travelled particularly in Scandinavia and had seen that those countries promote their literature really effectively. Mm -hmm. they, they offer translation grants to foreign publishers, they host translators in their country, they um, try to develop a love and an interest in the language by, by placing students as, as language assistants in universities around, around the world. And they've been doing this for a long time, and in the Finnish case in particular, I think they started over 50 years ago oh, promoting wow. their, their Finnish literature um, through this yeah. method. And he felt that Ireland was at a disadvantage because um, so much of the writing in Ireland is in English mm -hmm. and it's often considered um, British, basically. Yeah. In fact, I remember being at the Frankfurt Book Fair many, many years ago and, and seeing a, a booklet produced by the British Council which included two or three Irish writers and people like Colm Tobin being part of the British Council showcase. Now, at a certain level, that doesn't matter. Yes. But at another level, yes, yes it does matter because Absolutely. the inspiration and the language is, is from this country. Mm -hmm. um, so he pushed for some research to be carried out. Mio Loshil pushed for some research to be carried out um, to see whether such an agency might work 
in Ireland. And he, um, through the Arts Council, commissioned a report which Michael Cronin, uh, Jürgen Schneider and Liam McCall produced. And this helped make the case for the establishment of a, a new literature promotion agency. Um, the Department of Foreign Affairs agreed to support, support it. Wow. The Irish Language Books Board agreed to support it. And, and of course the Arts Council was, was a major um, agent in the, yes. in, in the development of, the, of this agency. So in 1994, um, the agency started. It was called, as you said, Ireland Literature Exchange. It was uh, based in one room in Parnell Square wow. <laughs> uh, with one staff member. And in its first year of operation, so 94, 95, it produced uh, 12 books in translation. <laughs> the start. <laughs> it was really the very start. Um, the very first book was translated, you'd be pleased to hear this, Priscilla, into French. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was a book by Hubert Butler and it was, it was published in 1995 and that was the very first title. Oh. And things have changed a little since then. As, as you said, we've had a name change, we've become Literature Ireland, mm -hmm. but we've also um, supported almost 2,000 works of Irish literature in translation Fantastic. in 56 different languages. And, and we can't take all the credit because, of course, it's it's the publishing houses around the world that have done this. Yes. We've just helped. We're sort of midwives in, in, in producing these, these wonderful babies, these these lovely yeah, books yeah. in translation. But it is a lot of work, so that's great. It's, it, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to think of people engaging with Irish literature and by extension with Ireland yep. through um, through our creative writing. Absolutely. Um, but but um, I, I do want to emphasise that without the publishers around the world who pay us the compliment of choosing to, to publish Irish literature, this wouldn't happen. And it's, it's no mean feat. There's a risk involved. Mm -hmm. um, if you choose to publish a book in translation, you have added costs. You have to build the profile of the writer in a yes. way that you wouldn't if it was a writer in your own country. You have the translation costs, you have additional editing costs. Even simple things like uh, your choice of book jacket may not be that simple. I was looking at a book the other day that is due to come out in Tamil, in Tamil Nadu. And uh, the depiction of uh, a pastoral rural scene is completely wrong. It looks as if it's somewhere in New England rather than in rural Ireland. Yes. So, so, so there's there's so many things that can go wrong. It's it's no mean undertaking to publish a work in translation, and one of the lovely things about having an organisation like Literature Ireland is that we can intervene and help. We can help financially by supporting, to some degree, the translation costs. We can help in terms of advice mm -hmm. with regard to particular nitty gritty difficulties in the text itself. Um, Yesterday morning, I was helping a Japanese translator with some expressions that she hadn't come across before. Um, things that seem so simple to us, like a fiver here or there. Yes. That, that seems obvious to me or of to course, you, yeah. but, but to somebody in Japan, yes. what's a fiver and what does a fiver here or there mean? So, so it, it's lovely to have an agency that can actually make a difference and they absolutely. can support translators and publishers around the world. Yes, no, absolutely. No, this is fantastic. Those are 
words, phrases, um, common phrases that you'd only hear here and that um, any of us uh, non-native Irish speakers, um, just like me, would have learned here. So yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, and I understand that your organization uh, is in a partnership with um, the Trinity Center for Literature and Cultural Translation, um, which is part of Trinity College. Um, can you tell us about uh, the partnership established? Um, wh when was it established and wh what is the goal? Well, it, it started in a small way, as, as often the best projects do. Um, we wanted to host literary translators in Ireland. And we started doing that in about 2003. Mm. But we were conscious that we were hosting translators and they were coming for very short periods of time. They were, we couldn't really afford to have them for too long. Um, and that although this was very beneficial to the translators concerned, that sometimes it would be nice to have somebody on a longer term residency so that they could be fully immersed in the culture for, uh, for a season, for three or four months. And uh, the idea behind the residency is that the translator would gain as much insight as possible to the culture, to, to the seasons, to the weather, to famous Irish rain, to um, the smell in the pub on a Friday night and the smell in the pub on the morning afterwards. Mm. And, and, and just to, to meet people, to meet the writer of the work they were translating where that was possible, to visit the locale of the work. But we, we really did feel we weren't doing it as fully as we might had we had more resources. So we met with people from um, Trinity College, uh, Sarah Smith, who was the Dean of the School of Languages, Literatures and Cultural Studies. And she loved the idea of co-hosting a translator in residence. And about nine years ago, we initiated our very first joint translator in residence uh, with Trinity. And that was a Russian translator who, who came and spent a good four months in, in Dublin and we supported the translator in terms of taking him to the theatre, funding his per diems, mm -hmm. um, meeting him regularly and, and Trinity supported the, the lucky translator by offering him accommodation, by um, giving him access to all the facilities that, that, that Trinity has and wonderful libraries, yes, a student cohort academics who were interested in what the mum was doing and so on. So it was, it, was, it was a perfect marriage. And that was the beginning of our relationship with Trinity. And over time, the idea came to establish a centre for literary and cultural translation. And uh, the provost was met. We met with the provost and proposed this initiative to him. Um, and Sarah and I were very pleased to see that he was so receptive to the idea. And um, he, he, he set a task to somebody to, learn, to identify a, a suitable building. And we, we viewed three different sites where we could possibly set up our joint offices, um, together with the Dolce Archive Press, which was also interested in forming such a partnership. And uh, eventually, a building was earmarked uh, where the Trinity Centre for Literary and Cultural Translation is now based mm -hmm. with uh, two key partners, Literature Ireland and the Docky Archive Press, as well as um, the Master's Students of Literary Translation. So yes. it's, it's a very clever partnership and it's working well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. We've um, 
we've had on the show uh, Michael Crullin, yes, yes, um, who uh, told us uh, everything about uh, about the the, the course. Um, that was extremely interesting. So yeah, that absolutely makes sense, and it's fantastic that the the partnership is here. Um, so I, I saw that um, one of the last Deaf um, translator in residence. Um, Uh, program um, beneficiary was a Japanese lady. So I understand. Her yes, day, yes, we were hoping to welcome uh, Hiroko Mikami to Dublin in February, and she's going to work on some translations of um, Tom Murphy's plays. Oh, um, and that's really exciting. It's it'll be our first Japanese translation residence. Um, she's a friend of Ireland. She's a well-established translator of Irish literature. Uh, and we're hoping to whet her appetite and, and invite her to uh, undertake new projects as well. Great. And do you have um, um, kind of an overview? Uh, do you know, like, is it, uh, would you have kind of um, your mindset on a particular language every year, as in, like, after having translated uh, and that's from Japan, would you have someone from a different country, completely different part of the world? We, 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 We tend to focus on territories where we feel we could do better or where we feel we need to have more contact and, and a greater profile. Um, obviously that has meant in, in the past quite a number of Chinese translators. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, we've, we've had people from Shanghai and from um, Beijing of course, but also Chinese uh, translators who are based in the States. And in one case, a Chinese translator who was who was studying in Belgium. Oh wow! Um, but we're building a profile, well, a, yes, a portfolio, if you like, of of, of key contacts uh, and people whom we hope will become ambassadors for Irish literature throughout their long careers. Yes. Um, but it has changed over time. I mean, when we started the project initially, we and and I've been associated with it. Since the very beginning, I, I, I started work with the organization in, in 2003, a long, long time ago. And uh, in that first 12 months, we hosted a lot of translators from Eastern Europe mm -hmm. because uh, the wall had come down and yep. there was a new hunger and a new interest in Western literature. And we wanted to show as much of the best of Irish literature as possible. Okay. So we, we invited a large number of European, Eastern European translators to come to Dublin. We had Translators from Romania and Bulgaria and Latvia and Lithuania, uh, Romania, Hungary. Uh, it was very exciting, very interesting. And they translated a whole range of, of materials, some contemporary, some more canonical. I remember having a Romanian translator who wanted to translate um, At Swim to Birds by Flanner Bryan. And he was he was struggling with certain um, key phrases. Yeah in the text and, and we were doing our best to help him but we didn't have Flann O'Brien and Miles Nagopoli to, to consult because Matt was dead and there was one expression in particular which was uh, and I, I think it was a surefire iron cast plunger and we phoned people in the National Museum to ask if they knew what kind of plunger this was and we um, googled it and Google was still relatively new at that time yeah. we were trying different reference books and on his very last day I invited uh, Anthony Cronin a contemporary of Flanner Bryan's to to lunch and we all had lunch it was all very pleasant and as we came up the steps Of, uh, from the basement restaurant I, I turned around to Tony I said Tony you don't know what 
a surefire iron cast plunger is? Yes, of course I do. It's a tip for a horse. Oh, oh God. <laughs> and so we solved the problem for, for our uh, translation. Yeah. He's been tearing his hair out trying to work this, this I can, problem I out. can imagine. Wow. So sometimes you can be very lucky. And, sure and sometimes the solution is it's under your nose and other times <laughs> it's very obscure. Wow. Oh, fantastic. It's great that you asked him. Yes. <laughs> He also had a difficulty with another expression, which was um, a pint of plain is your only man. This this phrase that comes through in this lovely um, refrain that, it, that that occurs as a leitmotif throughout the, uh, the novel. And um, his problem there was that he just didn't have an equivalent. Oh, uh, in, the, in his own language. A pint is a very particular measure yes, and yeah. it conjures up different ideas of the container and uh, the liquid that's in it yep. and the convivial atmosphere when men are drinking pints or I suppose nowadays when women are but certainly in that book when men are drinking yes, pints uh, and eventually he he found a solution he found a tankard that miners used uh, in his culture and this term worked perfectly it created all that atmosphere of Great. The drink and the merriment. Yes, I see. It is very peculiar, yes. I suppose that it, not, it wouldn't be the case in every culture, yes, in every language. No, and uh, I think I think translators are um, absolute heroes in, in, in the um, commitment and engagement they have um, when it comes to finding something that is Absolutely. an equivalent. It's yes. never going to be the same, but it will give the idea. Absolutely. Wow. Very interesting. And um, so uh, coming back to uh, the organization itself, um, Literature Island recently launched its third series of authors entitled First Lines, um, uh, that captured by, uh, by the fantastic John Minahan that uh, we had the privilege to meet recently, um, uh, and who's famously photographed Samuel Beckett. So can you tell us a little bit about the idea behind the project, you know, about launching this project? Well, the, the idea was that we, we, it's a little bit like marketing water. How do you, how do you promote yes. an organization that helps uh, support literature in translation? It, it's quite the challenge to, to, to render that tangible in any way. Um, and we were also conscious that when we attend the major world book fairs, I mean, we do go every year to London and mm -hmm. to Frankfurt and sometimes to Guadalajara, yes. that, that people want to take something away. And yes, we can give them our, our, our beautiful catalogue, New Writing from Ireland, um, but that, that, that's not always going to strike a accord with them because they will visit the Finnish stand and receive a Finnish catalogue and they will visit the um, French stand and receive a French catalogue mm -hmm. and so on. So we wanted to do something different and so we decided we'd commission postcards of a, a cross-section of contemporary Irish writers and we asked the photographer Richard Gilligan to take some photographs of writers um, in the, in their homes, in their workplaces, and wherever they tended to write. Yes. So that was the first series. And um, then we did a second series with Richard. They were very well received and um, people still enjoy them. Um, and then we thought, we're, well, we'll perhaps we'll change and we'll ask John Minahan to do the next series. And, and one of the really attractive ideas there was that we suddenly had this very young generation of up-and-coming writers 
um, particularly writers who specialize in the short story, men and women. There are mm -hmm. so many good writers um, coming out of Ireland at the moment. It's, it's very exciting. Um, and we thought, well, we'll use this very established, very iconic photographer. So I, I asked John, would, would he take the photographs? And he, he sort of said, let me add it. I love to oh, and that, that was great. wonderful um, so so John went around uh, about 18 months ago and took photographs of a, a dozen of, of this new generation of writers and then just to make things a little bit different we we added the first lines of their of the writers works uh, on, on the the verso yes the site here oh that's that's Wonderful. Do you do you think that there's um, a possibility that um, that uh, John captures an, uh, um, 2019's, uh, up and 2019's up-and-coming uh, Irish writers? We're very um, confident that he will. We asked him, would he consider doing another series, and he's agreed. So we're going to focus in the next series on um, women oh, and on poets. Brilliant. So we're, we're conscious that we've been focusing on prose writers and that yes. there are lots of, of good women poets around. Um, I think we'll have to look after the men in the following series. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's very exciting. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to yeah. seeing this. Um, so um, coming back to um, to the event itself, um, the French ambassador, Stéphane Crozat, was present um, at the launch. And speaking of France, um, you've also had the position of managing director at the Centre Culturel Irlandais in Paris from 2016 to 2017. So I'm very curious, uh, being from Paris it, um, myself and having been to the centre for, um, for St. Patrick's Day, it was fantastic, yeah. a couple of years ago. Uh, can you tell us a bit about your role over there, what are you involved? Well, yes, I um, was approached to see if I would be willing to go on sabbatical and take over the running of the centre for a year mm -hmm. while, while the director was on maternity leave. And I jumped at the chance. Um, as you know, I have, a, I have a degree in French and yes. I, I, I'm very francophile. <laughs> I, I love everything to do with France. I, I sit on the committee here in Ireland of the Franco-Irish Literature Festival and help programme it and moderate events. And I have a strong bond with, with everything French. <laughs> um, so, so when the opportunity arose, I thought, goodness, what a, what a wonderful chance to spend a year in Paris and to represent Irish culture in its broadest sense yes. in this amazing setting. You said you've been there. It, 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 it's a beautiful, beautiful neighborhood. Yeah, in the heart of the fifth arrondissement, uh, yeah. around the corner from the Pantheon. Yeah. Uh, with space for theatre performances, gallery performances, yes. a mediatek, and a beautiful uh, old library upstairs with, with ancient manuscripts in it. So it's really got everything. Um, so I um, set off not quite knowing what I was letting myself in for <laughs> and uh, started programming for, uh, for the year. Uh, one of them interesting developments of course challenging developments I suppose was um, that Brexit was becoming a, a reality yes. and both the French in Paris and uh, the the Irish in Paris wanted to know more about that so, yes. I, so I programmed a series of talks uh, with journalists from Ireland oh, journalists from the Financial Times and so on to, just to talk about yes. what that might mean for for Ireland in general and also for Irish culture um, and for Irish-French relations. Yes. So, so that, that was really quite quite interesting and, and very um, 
topical, very current. Yes, absolutely, I can imagine. Um, then there were there's this beautiful chapel. The, the college uh, was a seminary, so there, there's a chapel which has a, a beautiful acoustic and is very, very atmospheric. And, and um, we were allowed to program certain musical events there. And some of those were very special. I remember having Kalmakanamura play uh, to a spellbound audience. So generally speaking, it was it was a privilege. I, I was managing a team of a dozen uh, committed, hardworking um, people, 11 of whom were French. And I, I had no experience of managing that number of people, and I certainly didn't have any experience of managing uh, people from from another culture. Um, but but we worked very well together, and it was it was a real highlight in my, my career to date. That's brilliant. Fantastic. Um, and talking about um, um, Ireland and the relationship, the cultural relationship between different countries with Ireland, um, how important to you is promoting Irish art in the Irish language abroad? I mean, um, not just, you know, historic works, but uh, publishing and distributes um, new writing from Ireland, for instance, and other publications. I think I'll answer that question in two ways. I think promoting Irish literature is hugely important. I think um, there's a soft power attached to it. Um, I think it, it it's almost like an invitation card. Every time somebody picks up a book abroad in translation, they're opening up a, a beautiful Pandora's box, which is going to bond them with, with Ireland. Um, it's it's a it's a Trojan horse of the imagination, if you like. I, I think it's hugely important. At at a wider uh, level, you have um, po politicians who can use Irish literature and translation as as a, as a form of soft power. Uh, I know we had a prime minister Tishuk some years ago who uh, went to China, and the first words the Chinese premier said to him were, "I have read your Yeats." So that that is quite the icebreaker, and it is Absolutely. it is a huge yeah. uh, advantage yes. for Irish Irish politicians and for the Irish state to have Absolutely. Irish literature in, in in translation. More specifically, in relation to the Irish language, I think it's very important that um, Irish writing would be uh, read abroad and read in translation. Uh, we've had a wonderful success story in recent years with Craine Killer this this um, important novel from the 1940s which is considered the most important novel in the Irish language and a few years ago it was um, translated into English not once but twice twice <laughs> an Irish language publisher had the rights to the book and he commissioned one translation and then he thought you know what I'll try a second translation and he's a regular visitor to the Frankfurt Book Fair and there he met um, Yale University, people from Yale University Press, and they decided to publish both translations. So the novel was suddenly widely available in English. I think there was a review in the New York Times. Wow. It, was, it was a fascinating translation story, this idea of this almost forgotten yeah. Irish language novel that is suddenly on the world stage. Um, but also there are people around the world who can speak Irish. I was at a conference recently and the Czech translator of that novel gave a paper in Irish. Wow. And that novel has won a major translation prize in Prague. It was on national TV. Uh, it's long and slow work and I think if we had greater resources we would probably invite translators of that kind to spend more time in Ireland yes. so that we could build a, a greater number of 
translators who are capable of translating directly. Mm-hmm. But even using a bridging language like English, I think it's wonderful to think that, for example, Krenikilo will soon appear in Croatian, in Tamil, yes. and is already in German and French and so on. Wow, that's, yeah, that's fantastic. And um, do you have any other project with, uh, with Literature Island that you'd be working on and you'd like to share with our audience? Uh, I have a couple. Um, one of the more exciting ones at the moment is a translator workshop that we hope to organize in Beijing. Wow. Around uh, about the time of the Beijing International Book Fair. And the thinking behind this is that we can't have 20 Chinese translators in Ireland every year, but we can certainly go to Beijing, yes. bring some writers, bring the translators who have an interest in Irish literature, And, and, and have a, a workshop for a couple of days. And the Irish ambassador has offered us his uh, reception room, so oh, we're, fantastic. We're, we're in safe hands in that sense. We've got a lovely space, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it's very exciting. And when when is that uh, book fair? That's in August 2019. August 2019. And, you, and, and I said I had another project, and the, and yes. the other project is um, quite simply to encourage... Um, Korean publishers to translate more of Irish literature. I met people from the Korean Publishers Association recently and they've invited us to their book fair. Um, because they're keen to have an international base, mm-hmm. they very kindly invited us to come um, and take us down for free just to get a taste for what it's like, for, for what the publishing scene is yes. like in, 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 in Korea. Korea. Wow, that's great. So it's a busy year ahead. Busy year ahead. Well, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Sinead. It was fantastic. Um, fantastic to spend time with you today and uh, very, very interesting. Um, it's so been a pleasure. <laughs> it's uh, my pleasure as well. So um, that's the end of today's show uh, with Sinead from Literature Island. Please tune in again to see uh, our next Vista Talk show where we'll be discussing more interesting discussions with interesting people from around the world.